and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger. And I'm Jeff Schutze. And first up, for all of you Avengers fans out there, and we know that that is all of you, the <laughs> Arclight in Hollywood on Friday, April 27th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is going to have the illustrators of The Road to Marvel's Avengers Infinity War join them for a very special book signing. So you won't want to miss this. Andy Park, Ryan Lang, Justin Sweet, and many, many more will be in attendance. So you can go to the Arclight, you can buy the book, you can have them sign it. It sounds really amazing. Yeah, and Arclight is usually really good about having props and costumes and stuff from the movie. So I'm not saying they are definitely going to have it, but I bet they will. So it'll be a really cool event. So if you are in Southern California, make sure to check this out. Also, the very next night, April 28th from 7 to 10 p.m. at Gallery Nucleus, there's going to be Line Wait 4, which is going to be their next gallery exhibition. And it's going to feature a roster of artists known for their emphatic and brilliant use of the drawn line, according to Gallery Nucleus's website. Basically, what that means is it's going to be a lot of excellent artists who know their stuff. And in attendance will be Jake Wyatt, who will be signing copies of version 002, and Peter Hahn, who will also be in attendance, and he will be signing copies of the Dynamic Bible, which will now be restocked. This book has been out of stock for some time now, so if you missed it last time, don't miss it this time. And there are going to be a number of other amazing artists who will be there as well, so make sure to check that out. There's going to be free admission, free refreshments, and there's no RSVP required. All right, next up is the Ground Zero Animation Expo. That's June 9th and 10th. Now... A lot of people, a lot of friends of the podcast are going to be at this convention, including our own Angela Ensminger, who's going to be exhibiting there with Cassie Soliday, who we love. Absolutely. And Chris Wimberly will be there as well, as well as Mallory Carlson will be there, Morgan Gill, Christy Knopp. You guys know these names from the podcast, as well as just the fact that they are awesome and many, many more Ground Zero Animation Expo is one of my favorite conventions of all time. It's a lot of fun, so make sure to check that out. Cool, and then we also have Designer Con coming up in November, 16th through the 18th. Right now it's being waitlisted for exhibitors, but if you want a table, I suggest signing up just in case. And then next up is CTN Expo, which this year is going to be the same exact weekend, November 16th and 18th. Tickets are still available and also table space is still available. So if you want to get your table, now's the time to do it. The price is going to go up after August 15th. So if you want to save a little bit of money, I recommend getting your table now. And Cassie and I will be exhibiting together. We have a joint table this year. When we get more information, we'll be sure to share that with you. But as you guys, I'm sure, are aware, and also for those who are not aware, if you want to meet your animation heroes, if you want to meet recruiters, if you want to go to panels, if you want your portfolio reviewed by professionals, this is the convention to go to. I've been four times. I always get something out of it, so I highly recommend going. Yeah, I think I'm going to go this year. If not as an exhibitor, I'll definitely be there if I can as an attendee and check it out. Finally, we have very pertinent information for college students. If you are an undergraduate or a graduate student, ASIFA Hollywood is offering Hollywood's Animation Educators Forum Student Scholarship, and they're offering scholarships in the range from $2,500 to $5,000. So help pay for your education. We highly recommend you guys applying for this. So make sure to check out the website as well as the show notes. We will have links for all of the events that we've mentioned, plus all of the scholarship information. And that brings us to what we've been watching. So Jeff, what have you watched lately? Well, I know we've both watched A Quiet Place and A Wrinkle in Time. You know, going into it, I knew nothing about the movie. My friend just wanted to see it, and so I was like, sure, I love horror movies. I thought it was okay. I think if I saw it on Netflix, I would have been like, yeah, that was good. But after I walked out, I was just kind of like, that was 
okay, mediocre. Here are my thoughts on this movie. So, the acting is fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as you guys know, we talk about the movie. So if you haven't seen the movie, skip ahead. Go and see the movie. Come back to us. Creature design, amazing. Mm-hmm. I love the creature. The tone is amazing. Mm-hmm. But there were several things that happened where I felt like this is a very convenient thing that you're doing to further the plot, but there's a better way that you could be doing this. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the movie, when I'm watching this little boy running around a store, running behind his parents, I could hear my mother saying, why are you letting this child follow you? Yes. And not only that, but you need to have herd mentality. It needs to be dad in front, mom in the back, kids in the middle, mm-hmm. united front. Supervise the entire Supervise time. the entire time. My mother wouldn't let me walk behind her when we were in Target mm-hmm. when I was a child. Right. You're telling me that there's a monster multiple monsters on the loose in the city and you think it's a good idea to have your deaf daughter behind you followed by your super enthusiastic small child i'm watching this going they're gonna die everybody in this movie is gonna die because they're just terrible parents so just just that right off the bat i just thought oh what what is happening here so that that was deeply upsetting and then another thing that got me If you can't hear at all with the hearing aid, you're not going to wear the hearing aid. What they should have done in the movie is have it where it was kind of working, but not very well. Right. And the father was trying to fix it because then that would justify her still being mad Mm -hmm. and then still having that conversation. But it would also justify why she'd even be wearing it in the first place. Yeah. Because she wouldn't be wearing it if it it absolutely did nothing. So I'm watching this movie going, well, why is she even wearing this? Oh, because it's a plot device. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a better way to do that. And then if something is stuck on the stairs, you don't pull it. You look to see what it is stuck on because you don't want everything falling out because that would cause noise. And then if you know there's a nail now sticking out of the stairs, yeah, put something over it, around it, tell someone to take it out or take it out yourself. Don't let your kids run around and your husband run around these stairs with a nail sticking out Mm -hmm. of it. And if you have an axe and you see a creature and you also have a tool shed filled with rusted tools and equipment, Why don't you just throw the axe Mm -hmm. into that rusty tool shed? That's what bugged me the most about this movie is when, okay, if I'm watching a Friday the 13th movie or Jason, you know, type movie and the kids act stupidly, Mm -hmm. I understand because it's kind of fun to be like, oh, don't go in there. Don't go out there. But in this movie, we're supposed to think these are intelligent humans, but they do the dumbest things Mm -hmm. where you're just like why don't you make a noise somewhere else so the creatures go over there instead of oh I'm gonna make the noise right on myself so the creature (laughs) comes toward me. I get why they did that because they're trying to make this pivotal moment that you feel and I admit I cried because you know I felt for that man. I felt for his daughter. Mm -hmm. Father, daughter, bond i thought was beautiful but while i was watching this movie a lot of this didn't bother me until after the movie was done Mm. and then afterwards i'm just ruminating over it and going well wait a minute though why no and then that's when things fell apart there were different ways they could have accomplished the exact same thing and had they done that i feel like it would have been a much stronger movie oh yeah i did not cry (laughs) <laughs> you did not cry because you were tougher cry. than I am. Because I was like, this is not, just like you, I'm like, this is irresponsible <laughs> This is irresponsible parenting. <laughs> but I will say what I did like about it was mm-hmm. that, I'm glad I saw it in the theater. Oh, yes, because that was Because it fun. did give a different kind of theatrical experience because this was the first movie I've seen in a long time where no one's cell phone went off, no one was rustling their popcorn or doing noisy, stupid things in the theater. Everyone was dead silent because this movie is all about silence. So mm-hmm. it was actually a cool theatrical experience, but I just wish it were a better movie. But then we also saw... Mm-hmm. Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time, yes. 
This movie, as opposed to A Quiet Place, I knew this had mixed reviews going in. I knew kind of what to expect. So I can't say I was disappointed in that I knew that it wasn't going to be, you know, a great movie. But I was disappointed that it didn't really even meet my expectations. I don't know. What do you think? I'm a huge fan of Ava DuVernay. I love Oprah. I love Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling. I thought everyone did a good job acting-wise. I really like Storm Reid. I thought that she did a good Mm -hmm. job. And I really wanted to like this movie. First off, because it's based off of a book that I loved as a child. But Mm -hmm. the other reason is there are so few movies with female protagonists. So few movies that are fantasy and science fiction related that have strong female characters. And I really don't know of that many movies where the protagonist is a young black girl. Mm -hmm. I honestly think that had I seen this when I was 10, Mm -hmm. I would have really liked it. But as an adult, this movie was a mess. And it's really unfortunate because it could have been really, really good. I do think it's worth seeing, but there were several moments where we and other people in the theater were laughing and it wasn't because it was funny, but it was because we're watching going, wait, what? (laughs) What What is going on? What is happening? And you can see where they were going. You can see that they were trying to make it so that, hey, it's okay to be you. It's okay to be a girl. It's okay if you're not skinny or popular or your hair is different or you're different or your family's different. You are you and that's great. And that's Mm -hmm. a really good message, especially for girls. It's a good message for boys. It's a good message for anybody. Mm -hmm. So I really respect what they were trying to do. It was just done in a way that didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, it's kind of fun seeing even a mediocre movie because you can take it apart with your director eye or your creative eye, you know. So in that way, I thought it was, I was glad that we saw it. You know, see for yourselves. So, we're very happy to be presenting another roundtable of amazing people. We have on the show Alina Chow and Casey Robin. And between the two of them and Jeff, we're going to have a two-part episode where they're going to be breaking down how to be an exhibitor, Mm -hmm. how to decide what conventions to go to, how to decide what kind of merchandise, how to keep from getting sick, Mm -hmm. how to deal with interesting people that come to your table that may have the best of intentions but may be a little bit strange right so it was a good conversation yeah i love these roundtables i think it's just a fun way to get a lot of information in a couple podcasts it's great and i thought casey and alina were just such fun people and talking to other convention people it's awesome to see what's similar and what is not. And I think whenever you talk to other convention goers, it's like kind of a little group where you just feel like a little band of gypsies that know each other's stories and love to talk about it. So I hope that comes through in the podcast and I hope people get a lot of great information out of this. Absolutely. So without further ado, we have episode 69, the convention Roundtable, part one. We have a wonderful convention roundtable for all you guys with some wonderful guests. We have Alina Chow, and we also have Casey Robin, and our very own Jeff Schutze will be talking about conventions and what goes on with that. So, ladies, hello. Hi. Hi. (laughs) I'm Alina Chow. Um, I used to work in the animation industry as a 3D animator for many years. And then a few years ago, I decided to leave the studio and do my own independent art and pursue my own independent art career. So that's kind of how I get started doing convention because as an indie artist, there's no marketing department of a company to push your stuff out. So you have to do it yourself. So that's kind of how I started doing con. I'm Casey Robin, and I started in animation and design and story and that kind of thing. I'm still, I still love that, but I've been moving also into doing more of my own work and uh, working in books and toys, doing illustrations. I do a lot of hand-painted illustrations. And then recently I got into fashion design with Pinup Girl Clothing, and it's really exciting to see my art on, on clothes now. So there's, I do designs for a variety of things, but currently it's mostly books, fashion, um, a little bit of toys, and sometimes animation. 
information. Excellent. And Jeff, do you want to say a few words about um, yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Jeff Schutze. I started in web comics with my comic Jeffbot, and that got me into conventions and exhibiting there with books and prints and all sorts of stuff t-shirts, merch, but I'm moving toward the animation industry. So I'm kind of the opposite. (laughs) And I don't feel like I'm ever really moving away from it. I'm just Mm -hmm. focusing on different stuff for the moment. Excellent. So in this interview, we're going to talk about the ins and outs and how y'all got started. So Alina, we'll go ahead and start with you. So when you moved out of the 3D space, you mentioned that you then realized, okay, I need to promote myself and market myself. So how did you first decide that conventions was going to be a good route for that? Okay, so when I was working for a studio, I noticed a lot of my friends in the studio, they already start doing con just for fun and do their own thing outside of work to get some creative outlet that is their own. So when I start doing my own work for a living, I realized, as you know, I better learn how to do this convention things just to be part of the business strategy to be an independent artist. So I talked to friends who are already doing convention and I also have a few friends they used to work for animation studio and they have been independently produced their own art for a few years and do really well and very successful and has a sustainable business doing their own art for a living. So I also approached those friends and how do you do it? What's important? How do you prepare for conventions? So I kept gather information from different people and try to learn how to do the convention. So in the beginning, I got the impression is convention is fun because I've been to con as an attendee but not as an exhibitor so to me it's always like fun festive it's there's this romantic fantasy about traveling to different city (laughs) doing convention Mm -hmm. so I was so excited the first time I'm like okay I'm going to do everything I'm going to put all my chip all in (laughs) so I signed up for Seattle Emerald City Comic Con in the beginning of the year and then WonderCon in Anaheim a city on road trip in Burbank and then there's a couple of smaller convention in San Francisco. At the time I was living in San Francisco, so in my head, oh, I remember also Mocha in New York. That's oh, yeah. the other one. Oh, That's a really good one. So, all this convention, they all happened in the beginning of the con season back to back week after week, literally one week after the other. And I thought it'd be fun. I never traveled to so many places in a short time. And my friend teach me how to prep all the stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I do it. I don't recommend first time doing con, sign up for a million con in one sitting because yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. A is very exhausting when you travel from city to city to city. Yeah. And it's not like you're on a circus caravan. You can just pull your little trailer from one city to the other. You have to restock. <laughs> so I end up, I would go to Seattle, do the con, go back to San Francisco, restock, make the prints for a couple of days. You don't even have a weekend because the con is on a weekend. You come back maybe only like Tuesday to Wednesday. You restock whatever you need to do. Fly out or drive down to LA to do the Wonder Con go home and restock for two, three days and then go to come back to Burbank in SoCal, do another con, go home, restock, and then go to New York. Oh my God. It's crazy. And I think I was a little bit sick, like physically ill from mm-hmm. that craziness because mm-hmm. A, it's the first time I do con. I really don't know what I get myself into and how intense to work all day at the table. It's like when you were attendee walking around, you can take breaks, you can do other stuff, grab food, relax. But when you are mending a table yourself, and usually for most artists, in the beginning, you don't have helper. You are just one-man band. Mm -hmm. And it's very exhausted. Yeah, it's a special kind of exhausting. I think there's an emotional and a uh, psychological energy you're expending being on all the time, talking to so many people, especially if you're an introverted artist. Exactly. That that's almost more exhausting than the physical, but the physical is also really exhausting. Yeah, and when you are one person at a table, getting food, going to the bathroom is tricky. You have to make friends with the booth next to you. Yes, and then sometimes it's hard to rely on, because other people is in the same boat as well. They're also one person 
person, they have customers, so you don't want to inconvenience right. the other person so much. So at convention, it's crowded, going to restroom, that's going to be a long line. So sometimes, ah, oh, all right, I only go when I'm really, really, really <laughs> desperate. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't drink too much water, but you are talking you all day. you have to stay hydrated too. Yes, you have to stay hydrated, but the at the same time, you're talking to a lot of people yeah. all day, so mm-hmm. you have to stay hydrated. But I you... bring lozenges too. Yeah, so it's tricky. It's tricky. So I I don't recommend to be too excited and sign up for a, <laughs> a bunch of conventions yeah. bed to bed, especially not the first year. Yeah, it's also uh, expensive, you know, and if yes. you don't know if you're going to make sales or not when you're starting. And yes. sometimes I would sign up for a bunch of conventions, make way too much stock, mm-hmm. not sell as nearly as much as I had hoped, and then be like, oh, that was a bad move financially. Now I have all this back stock, you know, and I can't sell it till the next convention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's good to start small and ramp it up gradually. Yeah. Because you learn as you go too. Yes. And also your self-discovery. Like some people, like some other artists, they do a certain way. It do great for them, but it might not be the best fit for your own type of art. And that is something you have to discover. Is that what is your own strength and what's your weakness it takes a few try, trial mm-hmm. and error to figure out your own yeah. style too. So and even the style of the con, like each con has its own personality. Yes. Yeah. So you might sell a ton of shirts too. Yeah, in yes. one con and then sell a bunch of prints in another one and then no books at one. You know, you yeah. just don't know yes. until you do it's it. True. Sometimes I'll have a product that I'm really excited about and I think mm-hmm. this is a sure hit. This mm-hmm. one's going to sell mm-hmm. out. I made a ton of this mm-hmm. one and everyone buys that other one that I brought like, oh, well, my mom said I should bring this. I guess I'll bring it. It was under yes. my bed, but here it is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And actually, I think that's one of the nice things about doing conventions is it's a chance for you to get out and see a reaction to your art and see what people like. Like I had a series of witches that I painted for Halloween and I brought them to WonderCon just because I had them left over and I had maybe two or three of each of five designs and it was just like, I don't know. I mean, it's March. Who wants witches in March? Those went so fast. Like they were gone Mm. and my mermaids were just sitting there and I thought like, oh, everyone wants mermaids, but like who wants witches outside of Halloween? But apparently lots of people. You know, and I didn't know. So now I feel like I could do more witches. I could do more gothy stuff. I love gothy stuff. I didn't know people wanted that from me. So it's nice to, at the convention, you kind of get a sense of what your fans are open to, what their desires are. Mm. And when those line up with what you want to do, it's a wonderful, magical Mm. thing. Right, yeah. And even then, it's not a guarantee. Like, no, you might make make that thing that you thought they wanted, and they're like, no, now we want mermaids again. (laughs) Now we want mermaids. Here they are. They were always there. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk to you now Casey so what were some of the first conventions that you ever did and how did you get into all of this oh I have a very specific story for this so um, my mom was a Christian author and speaker for many many years in the 90s so when I was growing up I traveled with her and I worked her book table she did women of faith and all these other conventions and when Harry Potter came out she was the first to openly defend the series as a Christian and she took a lot of heat for that but because of that we got really close-knit with the Harry Potter community. So we love Harry Potter fans. They love us. And she was invited to a Harry Potter convention, a really small one in like somewhere in the middle of the country. I forget where. And she was like, hey, Casey, you know, you just started selling prints because I had just locally started selling prints and had a little Etsy, but I had only sold a couple of things. She's like, why don't you just make a couple of Harry Potter prints, just do two or three illustrations and bring them and I'll see if I can get you a free table. So I did that. And people went nuts for it. Like they sold, I had never made money, like real money before. And they, they bought everything. And I was just like, how do I get more of this? <laughs> you know? So and while I was there, they're like, hey, there's the biggest Harry Potter convention in the country, LeakyCon, is going to be in Chicago in like two or three weeks from this convention that I'm currently at. And and you, you should go, you'd sell so much. And so I was just like, two or three weeks, okay. You know, and so I signed up. I don't know how I got a table at that late a day because that's not normal. And I took out a loan from a church lady who was a supportive, sweet lady and gave me like a check to help me cover the expenses. And I'm like, I promise I'll pay you back. I promise, you know, because I had no resources, no money, nothing. I was just like winging a prayer. And I spent two weeks making like 12 new illustrations for that. Like it just painting night and day while my family helped me man the printer. So then I went to LeakyCon and I sold more than I could have possibly imagined. It was more money I had ever 
ever seen in my whole life. I mean, my family was not doing financially well at that point, and I had never had a real job or real income. So I was just like, oh my God, it wasn't just the money, but people love this and I love them. So it was it was through the Harry Potter community that I got into it. And then from there, I started branching out. You know, um, I started doing more general conventions and I fell hugely in love with My Little Pony Friendship is Magic back in the day. And so I convinced my family that I would pay for their trip to Seattle if they would come and be the Apple family with me and sell stuff at oh, our little sweet cute. Apple Acres. <laughs> so my mom was Granny Smith. My dad was Big Macintosh. I was Applejack. And we sold like novelty shot glasses and cider themed products to bronies. Aww, and it was really fun. Cute. And I had like my art stuff too, but people just wanted us to be the Apple family. And then now it's it's been more about showing more of my own work. There's still some fan art in there. I still am geeky, but it's been a nice way to um, explore new series that I want to do to give me motivation to paint a new series or to finish something and then to see how people respond. That's fantastic. I love that story. <laughs> I love that you got involved through your family. Yeah. And then it went full circle and then your family was helping you. Yeah. Oh, it's always yeah. been a family venture. And my mom kind of joked. She's like, oh, you worked my book table for all these years. So now I'll help you with your table. You know, and she does. Cool. She comes out and helps me with CTN. Yeah. Your she mom loves is sweet. it. And people yeah. love her. And I think it's great that it worked out. I think for her, it's some of the, um, the fun times of being on the road and doing the convention circuit, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really cool and what is your story Jeff how did you start exhibiting at conventions for me I think it was a natural extension of the webcomic because all my favorite webcomic artists were Mm. doing conventions and so it just seemed like I'll do a convention unfortunately I should have started like oh I'll get a artist alley table at a local con instead I'm like I'm gonna do the ones that these webcomic people are doing so I did Emerald City Comic Con for my first one <laughs> that's a pretty big one it's pretty big one. and I had no merch so in a couple months I had to put a book together do a ton of prints made I think I made three t-shirts I just did like wow. silk screen stuff and I bought a button machine and just cranked out a bunch wow. of yeah. <laughs> and had no idea what I was going to do. So the book, I remember, came right to the wire. Like the publisher did not know if they were going to be able to do it. So they're like, we will ship them up. I think, Angela, you got one of the first printings. Yeah, I did. Because the, it was so rushed, the glue was still wet. Oh, no. And they didn't mix the glue right or something. Oh, and it no. became very brittle. So those oh, no. first printings. So now they're collector's editions. Col- yeah, that are broken are collector's really valuable edition. ones. <laughs> yeah, if they're Take intact. Note, eBay. Because the pages are just falling out, even still. Oh, no. Uh, so I had to do another printing. At They're designed the as column. loose leaf prints that come in temporary booklet format. Right. Oh, yeah. The, you know, I'm going to have to. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good spin. Yeah. Sometimes when stuff goes really wrong, yeah. you just got to find you silver gotta... lining or like how to restructure. <laughs> totally. And then and I just drove up there and just relied on my neighbors. I had a couple really cool neighbors that just said, yeah. okay, this is what you need. This is what you need to do. We will help you. Yeah. You know, when you need to go to the bathroom, because just yeah. like you were saying, you cannot just leave your booth at will. And it's yeah. a huge energy thing. It's a huge, you know, you have to learn how to do this. So I do not recommend just jumping into <laughs> no, neither do Artist I. Alley. Yeah. Yeah, like first. the leaky con thing happened to pan out. But if it hadn't, I would have been down like $5,000, yeah, you well, know, with no way to pay it back other than working overtime at my bookstore job, you yeah. know. Yeah, that's exactly time. what happened to me. I put so I just put it on a credit card. I have done that. It's yeah, scary. It's very you're like, scary. What if I don't make money and then yeah. I've got this credit card debt? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I sold out of that first run of books, but I still actually have some of those original shirts. <laughs> but Blind yeah, bags. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna do that. I, I actually I, want to do mystery yeah. boxes because I have a lot of things that are neat yeah. that I made for particular things, and I don't really have a particular venue to sell them. And I personally love mystery boxes. Yeah. I I think yeah. it'd be fun. They're so popular right I now. I want to check with my fans yeah. and see if they'd like that. Yeah, that might be I'd a good like idea. That. Yeah. And since you bring up mystery boxes, I actually present my next question, which is how did y'all determine, and I know that this happened over time, but what types of art you wanted to do and then what types of art you wanted to sell? And is that always the same? 
It is not always the same. <laughs> like my style that sells is my cutesy retro 50s girl style. I have this other style that's like old world, turn of the century, Arthur Rackham, Shakespearean inspired fairies. No one buys those. Like <laughs> I love doing them and I still do them for myself. Like the brown ink and watercolor and like Mary Cecily Barker. Nobody buys those. But people really gravitate towards the things that are very, um, for me at least, that are very graphic, very uh, bold colors, very clear silhouette, which I also really enjoy doing. And sometimes I'll be inspired by what people are buying. I'm like, oh, people really like colorful art. What could I do that I would want to do that's colorful? But when I get someone who's looking at me for a project and they look at my table, I, I have to show them some of my other work. So I'm like, look, I've got range. This is what sells, but this is what all I can do. The other thing that was a factor was I discovered that some of my paintings that I did the most quickly sold the most and were the most loved and the ones that were more meticulous or labored or that I thought were elegant but weren't like playful and quick those ones just sat on the shelf so it was a good lesson because I also discovered hey I can do more and make more quickly and people like that more and I'm forced to be spontaneous you know so I think it helped to push me out of my comfort zone that part of me that wanted to just sit and like noodle was like mm -hmm. no no just like dash it off and make it like really energetic you know? Mm -hmm. I found that too, where the more I think or try and, you know, get into the head of the consumer where I'm like, well, I bet they would like this. Those are my lowest selling yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. And if you, like, I have some that I feel like I kind of knew people would like them and then people liked them. Mm -hmm. Like there mm -hmm. are some things that are kind of a sure bet right. if you know your audience, because mm -hmm. the people who tend to gravitate towards my art tend to be very much like me, kind of old fashioned and girly. And so I did like a, like a Disney princessy series with kind of cute pinup princesses. And I, I knew mm. that one would sell and it has, but I also want to challenge myself beyond that. Oh yeah. You know? And how about you, Amelia? For me, I only do special items for a convention a couple of times. There's one year, the first time I do San Diego, I'm like, everyone say they want special edition mm -hmm. stuff at San Diego. So I'm like, wow, I don't normally create thing for con. It's like, since I do a lot of gallery show over the years, the print I make are from shows. And my objective to go to convention would be nice to make money, but I'm more concerned about my business. Is that one thing with convention, different artists go to convention, they have different goals and mm -hmm. objectives. Some people, they go to con because they enjoy the con and they want to sell stuff at con. And some want to try out different merch and product. For me, convention is more networking to try to mm -hmm. get what I want for my career. So for me, I eventually discovered I want to be a children's book author illustrator. So selling stuff I can't is not my main goal. So I try to make a couple of toys and do some laser cut stuff a little bit mm -hmm. I can't just to have some special edition stuff for big conventions. But later on, I realized, you know, those are fun to do, but it's not exactly helping me to pursue the career goal. So yeah. When I was doing San Diego the first time, I make some laser cut wood art and they sell really well. I make a few and I mark the price really high and they are limited edition only one time. I don't reproduce them. And from time to time when I have time, I'll make little wooden door, hand paint yeah, wooden I door. I have one. <laughs> <laughs> and they are fun to make, but I don't do that often. It's all I usually do it when I have time. So my objective at convention is slightly different from mm -hmm. like people who want to make a profit from con. It's, it would be nice if I make money, mm -hmm. but if not, if I get a lot of good network, I would consider that is a good convention as mm -hmm. well. So I guess it's just a different artists have different goals at convention. And some of my friends, like Martin Hughes, he do like fine art, painting, and he has his own toy collection, rhino toys. Gorgeous. They, he sells it for limited edition, which are rightly so because he hand paint every single one of them. And he do really well for those. And then there's Jackie Hong, the Woobody, and he do all the neat wool stuff. Oh, yeah. And he's a more focused in toy design. So I think it's just different artists has their different niche. And then they like for them they will like try to find new line of toy design every con and every year come up with different product line. But for me, I'm not so much focused in product line. It's more it's like, okay, I know this con that we XYZ editor and art director will be there and mm -hmm. I want to meet them and I want to attract them to my table and exchange business cards so down the road when I'm ready to make certain books or when I'm ready to pitch mm -hmm. 
I would got that contact to talk yeah. to them because like, one thing with convention is a platform you can prove what you can do. Mm-hmm. So when other people come by, they say, "Oh, if you can do all this, then we can trust you to do a project." So it's a good platform to like, not just market yourself; it's also kind of a portfolio in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a portfolio. Yeah. And I wanted to add that um, I'm glad you brought that up because when I started talking with you guys, I was talking about the early days of my convention stuff. And when I was starting out, I needed to make money because I had nothing. I was starting from like, I think I had $13 in my bank account mm. when I did mm-hmm. that first Harry Potter one, you know. And so that was a high priority in the beginning. But uh, since I've been more established and I have a lot of paying work now, I have found it to be so much more valuable not to focus on just return an investment in terms of will people buy this stuff but to focus on interacting with other humans connecting with art Mm -hmm. directors i have gotten jobs from conventions that have paid off so much more than Mm -hmm. what i would have sold selling just to fans and it's also a great chance to connect with other artists yes i've made so Mm -hmm. i met you at conventions yeah like we became friends through that actually i met angela at ctn too yeah Yeah, so yeah we met each other at con because i met you at a convention because i had seen your work online and then you told me you were going to be teaching a class yeah. and then ended up taking her class that was so cool so it worked out it worked out really well yeah i had seen yeah. your show at center stage gallery and i loved it immediately i was just like oh who is this i like this mm-hmm. and then i i got your card and your name and then i saw you at ctn yeah and remember yeah and then you we come by my table and we start talking yeah. and then we, we come I was friends to talk yeah. to you because i was just like oh she's so and then and then I found that we were were good friends and I'm just really now we become good friends and we all become good friends and we all met at con Angela and I met at a con too yeah yeah years ago that's where we first met alternative press expo oh that used to be really good don't go now Abe used to be owned by some independent person and then comic con international bought Abe and it became really good when it's under Comic-Con International. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, the original owner bought it back and since then, it used to be my Comic Con only. It. it was in San Francisco, so mm-hmm. you got a lot of traffic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's intimate. It's like the size of San Diego Artist Alley, but you've got good crowd. People do different kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's not just fan art. Yeah, you can I do your own when you thing. You see more people's mm-hmm. original art, and it sells well because the audience that they go there, they're mm-hmm. not just looking for pop and fan art. Yeah, they right. also look for independent voices. So it, it's really fun, and you do mm-hmm. pretty well. Table yeah. cost low. You make enough. Plus small but then when the other guys bought it back it moved back to San Jose and it's much poorly managed mm. Mm. so I've I, had conventions like that back where they the first start year going, when they changed hand it was horrible is that yeah. like we the whole weekend I only make two hundred dollar oh, oh wow. Wow. it, it covered gas it, it, and I want to say like mm. if you find yourself in a situation where you've been doing a con for a while and maybe it was good in the past but it's starting to die or be mismanaged and you're like every year I come back and it seems like it's smaller or sickly or I'm losing money don't be afraid to like walk away from that con and try a different one because yeah. I stayed with one of those for a while because they're like oh it used to be so good it was my favorite mm-hmm. con but now it's under new management and there was just no traffic or all of the people who were attendees at the con like for some reason they put them all over there and us all over in a secluded room that no one knew where it was oh, so yes. even though there were yeah. people there they weren't coming to us so if you sense that a con is no longer healthy for you please don't be afraid to leave it and try something different yeah, yeah. you might have that sense of loyalty but the- yeah. people running it they don't they do and not. you don't you yeah. shouldn't have that sense of loyalty mm-hmm. you do not owe the con anything right. besides showing up and doing your best but you don't owe them yeah. you don't have to keep going if it's no longer making sense for you yeah. yeah or if your career just takes a different turn and, and it no longer is the kind of convention that makes sense for your career mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you yeah. know and the only people i really feel loyalty toward and i feel bad about if i stop going to a con are the attendees that supported yeah. you, yeah. you know, the last give them couple all, years. Like, a letter. Yeah, and then, like, you know, you. you'll get messages like, hey, are you coming to Sorry. such and such con? It's like, oh, not this year. So, I yeah. feel that a bit, too, with sometimes with the other exhibitors, because you, you mm-hmm. do kind of build up a camaraderie, yeah. like like a theater troupe or a circus mm-hmm. troupe, and you, you especially if you were helping each other out a lot, if mm-hmm. you had to depend on each other. So they'll be like, hey, are you going to be there next year? And I'll just be like, I love you, but I yeah. can't. Yeah. I just, it doesn't yeah. make sense for yeah. me. Yeah. No, to ask you too because we didn't quite get to ask you how did you decide what to bring because you were talking about <laughs> t-shirts and prints and buttons and books and that's a that's a that's lot. a lot so yeah. how did you hone in on all of that 
It was because I saw what the other big webcomic people were doing. So I was just like, I'm going to do the same thing, which was not really that wise. I should have, first of all, gone to a smaller con. And second of all, really just focused on something like focused on the book yeah. or focused on, you know, cheaper items, I think, mm. too. Like yeah. buttons items were with, good. The, uh, with a high margin as well. Yeah, high margin. You know. Margin Prints are great. For yeah, that. prints mm-hmm. are wonderful. Shirts stuff. are not great no. high margin things. And I had, you know, the three designs. Now, how I decided was the webcomic. I, all of my merchandise was characters for my comic, you know, and the books. So my prints were the characters, my shirts had the characters on it, all that stuff. Now I've kind of branched out and I have a whole different line of shirts with these monsters I have that they're kind of monster restaurants and whatever, and they do really well. <laughs> Wait, monster restaurants? Mo- monster restaurants. Explain. Like for the, I have prints and shirts for these, and I call them uh, international bistros. Like I have a little uh, logo. Uh, that's 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 there's got to be a good yeah. pun in here somewhere. Yes, I like yes. It. And the first one I had, it was Cthulhu. It looks like he's in a little jacuzzi or something, but it's a ramen bowl. And it's called Mouthful of Madness Ramen House. And it says, <laughs> like, Osaka, Japan. And people are always like, is that a real place? And I'm like, no, it's just, you know, something. Yes, you know, in my but head. everyone yeah. who's gone there is crazy now. <laughs> right. I can't tell you about and it. And they're like, cool. So they buy it. The and then I always get people saying, yeah, people always ask me if it's a real place. And now I have a couple other monsters, too. And so that worked out really well. Now, as I get away from the webcomic, I have a lot of different merchandise. Last year, I didn't have any new merch, and I was, like, stressing out because I didn't have time to put together any yeah, new merch. hard. So I just made a bunch of prints for my Instagram drawings that oh, I kind of cool. do throughout the year. Yeah. And they sold so well. Some of it was fan art. Some of it was original stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like you were saying. Those were very quick sketches. Yeah, you kind of think, oh, who would want this? It's yeah. so quick. It's so... Just yeah, sketch. one of them was just, like, a black... Like, actually, a few of them were black and white sketches. Some of them had ink. Some of them didn't. Those sold great. Because I think those allow people to project onto them mm-hmm. more yeah. and to kind of imagine themselves into it, imagine yeah. a story. Because I did a series, what well, was that witch series that was really enigmatic mm-hmm. and I didn't really spell it all out, honestly, because I didn't have time. I'm like, all I got time for is the girl and like an indication of a background. I don't have time for a right. full background make up your own story you know and i think people actually like that kind yeah. of interactive quality uh-huh. if something is more open. and those quick sketches have more life yeah they're very vibrant you can see the artist you know it looks like art yeah where... if they are our students yeah they are wanting to see not a super yeah. fo- polished uh, pristine piece but they're yeah. wanting to see how'd you do it yeah they want to see you those know? pencils and that line and your you know, how you're doing it, you know, they want to see that flow to it. And if you're just doing stuff that looks like, oh, that looks exactly like Gravity Falls or, you know, Yeah, I don't see the point in doing fan art that looks exactly like the the actual thing. Mm -hmm. I I always try to bring a spin or a something funny to it. Or something, and definitely a different style. Like, I don't see the point of like, I drew this and it looks exactly like a finished frame from your favorite movie. It's like, but that already exists. And, and also if you copyright didn't work on that show. Yeah, too, I was gonna say then, like the, yeah. that because I just will feel ask like you, you know, did I you work on that? consider good fan art a form of pop art. You know, mm-hmm. right. like like yeah. what Andy Warhol did with Campbell's Soup. You know, yeah. And when you're, but you got to bring something to it that's adding value and that is actually transformative yeah. and not just like, hey, fans of this thing, do you want to buy it? It's got your favorite thing on it. Right. You know, I, yeah. I really feel like ethically, it only makes sense to do it if you are transforming it into mm-hmm. actual pop art. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. That's a good question that I wanted to ask you guys too. Is about the issue of fan art, because I've heard a lot of different things, everything from, no, fan art is illegal, don't ever do it ever, <laughs> to, sure, do fan art too, well, be careful though, because if you're only doing fan art, then people don't know you yeah. at all. Right. I would take the right. third yeah. I would take that third Be careful, too. because yeah. you don't want to become that person who only draws fan art you really want to show what you can do so Mm -hmm. i like to sprinkle fan art in with original stuff yeah and the wonderful thing has been lately like when i was starting um people were mostly buying the fan art and i don't know what shifted but now people are much more interested in my personal art and Mm -hmm. that makes me so happy because it feels like they like me for me and not just because they're a fan of that thing yeah you know but fan art can be a nice point of connection you know like oh you like that thing i like that thing Mm -hmm. But I have actually three rules for fan art when I do it, which I find helpful. One, I have to be a genuine fan of that thing. 
Yes. If it doesn't matter how popular it is, if I don't like that thing, mm-hmm. even like I love Harry Potter, but I've never seen Fantastic Beasts, so I will not be making any Fantastic mm-hmm. Beasts fan art. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I have to be able to bring something genuinely new and unique to it. It has to be something where I, in my heart and in my conscience, feel that this is actually transformative, that this falls under that transformative copyright law, not just for the sense of being legal, but out of respect for the creators Mm -hmm. and out of a sense to, I want to make things that bring value to the world and aren't just more white noise, you know, and I don't want to feel like I'm ever aping someone's stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? So if I can't bring something new to it, I don't do it. And then third, I have to feel like it would be at least sort of marketable because Mm -hmm. the reason I do fan art is to bring in new fans who Mm -hmm. might not be sure about the Casey Robin brand. Like, oh, well, there's lots of artists. I don't know who I want, but oh, gee, I know I love this thing. So I'll start with that. And then I'm hoping to kind of get them interested in the other things that I do, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah. You don't want your whole booth to be overtaken by fan art. No, it reeks of desperation, honestly. I've seen, you know, some of my... No offense to anyone who does that. I just... (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I feel like sometimes people starting out really young are afraid to do anything but fan art because they're afraid that no one will like them for themselves. And ironically, it turns people away who might have liked your personal work. Yeah, Yeah, I've had buddies who, you know, started off with all of their own stuff and then... They got a taste of some fan art that sold, <laughs> and their whole booth became that. And yeah, you don't want to be that. Yeah, yeah, their other stuff just got pushed to the background. Yeah, and again, it's also a career choice, right? Yes. So that's some artists, it also depend on your business strategy. Mm-hmm. Some artists, they want to be more commercial, make merch. Mm-hmm. They don't really care what type of merch. They just want to make commercially appealing merch to the audience mm-hmm. and then there's also artists they want to slowly use the convention platform to start their own voice and get attention yeah. as an artist with a distinctive voice so if that is the career choice too much fan art it end up just stifle your own voice because like when yeah. there will be besides the general public there will be audience there will be producer director from different studios publishing houses and they want to look for fresh new blood to put into their line that's the real prize that's the stuff that can change your life yes and and if they go to a table why all the art look beautiful but it's all fan art that does not represent any artist's voice you you can even have beautiful fan arts with unique style Mm -hmm. but it's still not your own voice Mm -hmm. so that's not going to attract say a director looking for hey a young rich staff artist or young Mm -hmm. story artist to come to help them with their projects like wow we don't want show that look like any existing show of this kind. We want someone create a brand new show. And they want to see that you can think for yourself Exactly. So so it's really a career choice. But then I wouldn't say no. It really depends on someone. And if someone is more on the focus on making merch kind of line, they just want to maybe get into licensing, distributing, Mm -hmm. not so much on the artistry, then that would be a different kind of strategy so for artists who want to someday really get attention to create your own art Mm -hmm. or even have someone hire you because they love your voice or style to bring into their team as a new force of energy then you do not want to go on go on the route that only Mm -hmm. makes ads because does not represent your voice that's not going to attract potential employer or client to Mm -hmm. hire you so it's like i would say it's like what is the career choice and i would say it's important to remember um what kinds of things attract which kind of people so i would say as a rule of thumb fan art tends to attract a younger crowd it tends to attract students it tends to attract casual fans Mm -hmm. whereas personal work work that you did from your heart that you were just so inspired to do tends to attract art directors and to me while i love all of my fans and i love you know everyone who comes to the convention and brings that good energy i have found that when you attract art directors it often opens up doors that are so much more wonderful than what you could have imagined you know exponential opportunities right and so you know i'll have a little bit of fan art for like hey kids you know like right or or, you know just people who are or just at the convention to Mm -hmm. indulge in their pop favorites and that's really fun too Mm -hmm. but i love it when someone looks at my work thoughtfully 
and takes my business card, especially if they're like an older kind of well-dressed person. I'm just like, oh, that was probably an art director. And then I get an yeah. email, you know, a couple of weeks later, right. sometimes way later, sometimes right. it's like a year later, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. No, and I feel absolutely. like you've done fan art well. Like I like pure well, Zelda things. Very well, technically much. I wouldn't say all those are fan art because yeah. they're all official tribute art for gallery. Oh, okay. Well then so, tribute. Yeah. Art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like personally, I don't do fan art mm-hmm. for myself. So when I do gallery, a lot of the gallery they do yeah, official like tribute, tribute show for film studio and mm-hmm. they will invite me so all the art that look like fan art that I create they're all for the studio yeah. and for gallery but some some I have signed an agreement I cannot reproduce but right. some they're pretty cash about it so I have those at my table but personally I don't do fan art partly is I was working in the animation studio work on a lot of major mm-hmm. franchise and project for 10 year plus my <laughs> last job is with Lucasfilm working on Star Wars so one thing the day I quit my day job and decide to be indie mm-hmm. one criteria I give myself is you are not going to create other people's art just to make a living. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Fan art is easier to kickstart because you do fan art, they do sell well, like mm-hmm. convention. Mm-hmm. But for me, I give myself the rules that you already done 10 year plus yes, working on time. every other franchise in the market and you do it well, you get the career experience that you want and now the reason you decide to jump from having a stable high salary job to zero income is because you want to do your own thing and it's not worth it to go and do other people's stuff without without even the high salary benefit because now I have zero salary. So it's like, if you want to sacrifice, go all the way and do your own thing because otherwise, what's the point? It's like, I could sit in a studio, get a nice, regular, fatty paycheck Mm -hmm. and I like the job. It's not that I hate studio. I can stay there and everything is official. Everything is licensed. I don't even need to worry about marketing those because, you know, the studio have a huge marketing machine. I don't need to worry about all that. Yeah. I just collect paycheck. <laughs> but then what's the point if I go out and do fan art? That would be like, right. you're still changed to a studio yeah. in some way. <laughs> so I refuse. So it's that like I would do fan art style because I get invited to gallery and right. that's different. That's fine art. It's yeah. that, that's yeah. like pop but art. I mean, that's like pop I feel like art regardless fine of... Art. Why you created that kind of art, that tribute art? If you do that kind of art well, I think the product can still be good. Like, right? You know, if someone wasn't invited to a tribute show, but they still felt moved to make something in response to say Miyazaki, right? Did it with heart and with thought and with all of the skill that someone who was invited to the tribute show did. I think that that piece has as much value, even though it wasn't official in the gallery, right? As a mm-hmm. piece of art on its own, right? For sure, yeah. yeah. And in conventions, you really have to watch out because some of those studios will come to the conventions, mm-hmm. and I've been at conventions where someone will run down the the aisle saying, "If you have any Pokemon art, huh. get it off your table because Nintendo is here and they're cracking down on and it." And Nintendo's pretty um, strict about that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I haven't run into it. I've just heard. That, that they are like with YouTubers yeah. Oh, yeah. their they, games they even, don't let you know? people stream yeah and Disney has done the same thing where someone will run down the aisle if you have any Star Wars Disney characters mm-hmm. or you know Marvel characters get it out of your booth or they will take it they will confiscate it so if you're gonna do fan art at a convention know that mm-hmm. you know it's not your art it's yeah. somebody else's yeah and that's the know? thing is it's kind of uh, it's a for me, it's a transitionary or a temporary mm-hmm. thing. It's like you do it; it's fun, but you know that that is not going to be the um, rock upon which your art right. house is built. That was a yeah. fun thing that you did right. for for a lark, you mm-hmm. know. Right. And the things that I really invest into are my own things that I love, that I believe in, that I own. And I think owning your own IP long term is yeah. a huge deal. Yes. You yeah. know, it it can make the difference between having a glowing twilight years or just being. Like, what did I do with my career? You know, (laughs) why didn't I make any of my own IP? Not that everyone has to, but if you feel that call. Right, yeah. You know, if you feel like, oh man, I want to make my own stuff, but I'm afraid, so I'll just do Pokemon. That might come back to bite you in the end. Like, you'll Mm -hmm. want to transition into doing more of your own stuff. And maybe if you feel compelled to do only your own stuff, like, go for that. 
yeah. trust yourself, you know? It's Absolutely. a little scary because you're, you got nothing to fall back on if, if no one likes it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, they just didn't like my idea and the execution. Well, that's all me. It's my fault, you right. know? Yeah. But yeah. when they love it, it's so wonderful because oh, you yeah. feel like you've genuinely shared something with someone and brought something to the world. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, I feel like it takes time. It's like it, you do your own thing in the beginning when people doesn't really know you. Yeah. You, you might feel that no one really like my stuff. I don't want to get too much. But it takes time to establish. The more your passion put in, the mm -hmm. more people will react to it. Well, sometimes people just need to see you a couple yeah, of times to exactly. be like, oh, they're here to stay. They're they're legit. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. yeah. I did uh, CTN. I've been doing it for four or five years now mm. and I feel like in the last two years or so people have been taking notice more just because I've right. been, I've been there you've, yeah. you've put in the effort to exactly. be there mm -hmm. you know and you keep bringing things you keep making stuff yeah well the way I see it being uh, like an independent artist that career ladder is similar to working for a company you can't have to start from the bottom to it yes. if you work for a company you start from being an intern you didn't get to do all the cool stuff and then you prove yourself you get to do a little bit fun stuff and then when someday yeah. you get really good they give you more important stuff you become supervisor or director so it's just that with a company you have a very clear title and ladder to climb mm -hmm. but then with doing your own thing it's the same too when you're in the beginning you have like you're working for your own company. You're like a little intern too. Yeah, you have yeah. to learn how to do all this mm -hmm, thing, mm -hmm. trial and error. It's, oh, yeah. this one, this doesn't work. People doesn't seem to like me that much. You have to prove to yourself. But you, it's just you don't prove to a corporation. You right. have to prove to You're yourself to your, and your target people. audience and your target clients. Mm -hmm. And then the better you get at it and say, oh, yeah, you, you've been doing pretty. You've been around for a year yeah. or so. Yeah, let me <laughs> give you some project. Yeah, so you start from smaller project and then you do a few small projects, yeah. you do pretty well, your client like it, your people you talk to, your audience like it, and you start getting a little bit bigger project. So it's kind of the same career ladder, but you just don't get any title because you're yeah. just you. You're not working yeah. for a company that they will give you a fancy title and fancy <laughs> office. You're still working off your right. room, but <laughs> you get better project over the year. <laughs> it's also, I think, important to remember that not everybody, while we all have have to work our way up not everybody might start from the same place exactly. when you're an independent artist for example you had 10 years behind you at studios so i would imagine you probably had savings you know you right. had some kind of network whereas right. when i got started in this i had nothing right you know? and so yeah. my journey took longer because while everyone has mm -hmm. the same opportunity your platform that you start out with mm -hmm. might not be the same so if you're exactly. starting from from very little or you come from humble means or no one knows you yet give yourself grace and time as people get to know you yeah you know it just it might take For a little sure. bit longer than someone who grew up in LA and has a lot of connections and had money to begin with uh, if you're having to really bootstrap it you know but yeah I, sure. I would say it's definitely worth it you know I feel like I've yeah. been doing it so many years now and it's it's finally easier and happier and yeah. less stressful because there's less less high stakes I've become more established right know? because you learn along the way yeah you build your own skill you build your audience and you build trust with your own client yeah. your target they audience you. they know you more they trust you more so it's just only going to grow keep growing yeah. unless you decide to stop yeah if, if yeah. you decide keep to keep growing yeah and I think if you keep paying it probably a good tip for the listeners too is that you know I started off with the webcomic before I start going, you know, doing conventions. And like you were saying, if you have a base, it's almost a little easier. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'd assume now if people have a big Instagram following or a big, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. all these social media networks that they would do well at conventions because they can right. be, you hey, can I'm going to be so-and-so. Yeah. Yeah. So right. you've already built that foundation, which might help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that concludes part one of the convention roundtable. Special thanks to Alina and Casey and you, Jeff, for being wonderful guests. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was great listening to you guys. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourneypodcast.com and clicking on the PayPal button on the right-hand side and leaving a donation all of your donations go directly into paying for the hosting of the website and any other technical costs associated with the site. And thank you very much to everyone who has supported us. We greatly appreciate it. And you can see what else is going on in the world of animation by visiting 
www.facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney on Tumblr. The site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And where can people find you, Jeff? People can find me at JeffBot on Twitter. That's J-E-F-B-O-T, one F. They can find me at Shootsie on Instagram, S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E. And and they can find my webcomic and other details about my life at JeffBot.com. And you can check out what I've been up to by visiting www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So tune in next time for part two of our convention roundtable. And until then, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.